Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Something. Get you some facts right here. Get you some facts. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Song Facts Podcast. I am your host, Corey O'Flanagan. This podcast is proudly a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Please feel free to go ahead and hit subscribe. Tell a friend about us if you're enjoying the show. We just want to bring good music and stories to as many people as we can, so thank you for sharing. On today's show, we have a country music legend. Susie Bagas has been a prominent fixture in the country music scene since the mid-80s. We go back to that time to talk about how she came to be the first featured female performer at Dollywood through her long string of success in the late 80s and 90s and talk about what she is up to today, including the recent release of a live album recorded in 1999 at Nashville's Cafe Milano. Then to top it off, Susie performs her song, Letting Go, live to close out the show. It's so good, her voice hasn't lost a step. So please, please, please enjoy the amazing, the award-winning and Grammy-nominated Susie Bagas. Okay, we are here with Susie Bagas. And thank you so much, Susie, for being with us today on the Song Facts podcast. How are you? I am very well. Thanks for inviting me on. I appreciate it. You're welcome. It. Thanks for coming. And where are you exactly? I'm outside of Nashville right now. Uh, we live out in an um, area called Franklin, Tennessee. Okay. I know Franklin pretty well. I've got, I used to live on the Florida Panhandle near like um, in the 30A area. I don't know if you're familiar. A lot of people that yeah. vacation down there from Franklin. Yeah, we have a nice uh, uh, festival down there as well. What really fun festival that we do every few years. Is it the 30A Songwriters Festival in January? It, that's the one. Uh, yes. <laughs> I've probably it's seen you too at a place called Pandora's back in the day. That's possible. That's very possible. <laughs> I've been doing this a long time. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you have quite the story and I hope we can talk about a decent amount of it, but I want to start going back to your childhood, your upbringing, and just kind of let me know how did music first become a part of your life? Oh gosh. Well, yeah, I'm the youngest. So um, I'm like eight years younger than my closest brother. So there was lots of music going on in our house way before I was even born. So mm -hmm. um, growing up for me, everybody already kind of had established what music they like. You know, my mom liked a certain kind. My dad liked country. My um, siblings, you know, my oldest brother was into the harmony groups. So and my sister was into James Taylor and Carol King. And then my other brother was into Creedence Clearwater. So it's oh, like, wow. I got a little taste of a lot of different styles of music growing up. And, and it kind of all is in there. I just, you know, it's all kind of all muddled up together. And, and uh, I always loved music. I was a big ham because, you know, I was the youngest. So I was always being the little 
dancing bear that was <laughs> making people laugh. And yeah. so, um, so I think, you know, just growing up, knowing that I could make people happy if I would sing to them or, oh. you know, that, uh, I think that's how it just kind of got under my skin and be- began to, uh, form. Yeah. And I mean, from there, you kind of started to earn your stripes playing coffee houses. And it sounds like that was in your college years. I don't know if you did much before that, but what were, I'm curious, what were some of the lessons that you learned during that time um, playing live that have kind of stuck with you today? Well, you know, I grew up in a really small town, so I really Mm. didn't realize that I just didn't think about it, that, you know, people could actually make a living as a performer, (laughs) you know? Like I, I didn't know anybody who did that. So when I got to college, there were a lot of, uh, in my dorm, there was all, um, it was all people who were majoring in either art, music or theater. And so there were a lot of people who had already played in, in professional groups, you know, that were from the cities and you know, Chicago and that. Um, so uh, they, they taught me a lot of stuff. And then I started trying out for things like the university singers. And 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 then I also had friends that were playing in coffee houses or playing in the, the local bars. And, yeah. uh, by my sophomore year in high in college, I was um, I was playing in the bars and just playing my 10 songs I knew. And then, you know, elaborating and learning songs from all the other people that were out there playing guitar and then started writing songs and traveling more and so, so I'm curious about this I'll divulge I'll divulge a little bit about me I've I've had uh I've played music I play a few different instruments but the first instrument I ever learned was guitar and I always just imagine trying to be a singer songwriter and getting up on a stage with a guitar and maybe a harmonica necklace and, and singing some songs but my voice never really followed me to that dream unfortunately <laughs> so I've always found it really daunting and I found it very, I, I learned later, I didn't start doing anything musically till I was 20, but I was very, it's just been a confidence thing with me. And I'm curious, did you have that right away? Was it, do you think it was because you grew up in such an open house that you just kind of naturally progressed into that? Yeah, I, I mean, I sang in the church, you know, and, and I used my guitar in the church. Um, mm-hmm. And it was a Presbyterian, very kind of um, older audience. And they were just it they came to life when I started playing the guitar and it was like something that they just didn't even know existed or something I don't know but it just um it gave me a lot of confidence and then you know as I started to play in bars and stuff I was still nervous you know but little by little um you know I kind of got over that I did I still do have little times when I um you know choke get nervous I mean I just kind of depends on what's going on with you emotionally, you know, your, your confidence doesn't always, uh, it wanes sometimes, but, um, but for the most part, yeah, I, I just, I just kind of get calm. I get on the stage and it just, I just kind of go, well, if I'm calm, then they're going to feel like they're at home and they're not mm-hmm. going to be judging me. So that's my, that's my tip to you is if you, if you want them to be calm, then you have to be calm so that they, feel comfortable and they're not worried for you that you are up there about ready to clam or something, you know? I think that's fair. And I I will say that in the times that I have played in front of people, it's been a situation where the nerves were very aggressive leading up to it. But as soon as you get on, you get a couple of songs in. Yeah. I think that there's a calming 
mechanism there, especially if you get done with a song and you get a little applause. That never hurts. I'm very curious about this. So you were first you were the first featured female performer at Dollywood. And I'm just so curious. Was that an audition? And did you have to audition directly for Dolly? I did not. Um, here's what I happened is um, I was playing in Nashville. I'd moved to Nashville okay. and I was playing at a bar called, well, it was a, a restaurant bar called Tony Romas. And while I was there, um, somebody told me about the, this theme park, it, which was not Dolly's park yet. It's the same park, but oh. that they had a, um, they had a, like a festival in the summer and then you could, you know, go and play like two or three days in the mountains and it would be fun. So I got a gig doing that. And uh, while I was there, Dolly came and was buying the park. So okay. I, and those people came back to Nashville and saw me in the bar and they hired me side, you know, just right on the spot. So it was Amazing. pretty magical. I can't and, even imagine. Do you remember what, um, what, what tunes you were playing around that time? Um, you know, a lot of different things, you know, some of the songs I actually covered and actually had hits with. In fact, uh, Someday Soon was one that I had been playing for years and years. Okay. But one of the things about Dolly and she did meet with us, you know, separately. And um, the one thing about her was that she always really um, she wanted you to do your own show. She wanted she wanted you to sing the songs that you wanted to convey to your peeps you know yeah and i thought that was uh, just like so beautiful and generous and and she did that with every artist that worked there i mean there were quite a few bluegrass groups and different kinds of groups that were also playing but i was playing a solo at, at the train station but i also sang with the band at the end of the day and um that was more of a jamboree show but even those songs i was able to choose which cover songs i wanted to play in the jamboree show and and then dolly uh, took a meeting with me the when Capitol Records came to see me sing at Dollywood and I said they've offered me a record deal and she said well you can't go wrong with Jim Fogelson because he's one of the gentlemen in Nashville and uh -huh. so Jim signed me and three weeks later I had a record deal and it was fabulous so I only wow. worked for six months I worked uh, the first season of Dollywood okay that makes sense and th this is kind of like this is where it gets this is where I think your story just gets amazing because it really was like a meteor because from what I can gather, the song Hopeless Romantic. What am I doing here? I don't really know. I'm sorry if I walk you up. Maybe I should go. I was only thinking that there still might be a way. If I could see your face again, I might find some words to say. Oh, I don't know why I act this way. I guess I'm just a hopeless romance. Was pretty life changing for you, both professionally and personally. And I'm just curious one, am I right on that? And two, um, what can you tell us about that song and, and why it was, uh, from what I'm reading, just such a monumental thing for you? Yeah, well, when I got my job at Dollywood, I was singing a lot of demos in Nashville. And that's when a songwriter will hire a singer to sing their song. Like maybe a guy wrote a song, but he wants to pitch it to Reba McIntyre yeah. or, you know, Trisha Yearwood or whatever. Uh, Trisha was another demo singer like myself. Um, but um, 
So you'd sing these songs and you'd get 10 bucks or whatever you got paid. It was not a lot. But um, I had been singing songs for um, a lot of people that my husband now uh, was the recording engineer for. Okay. And so he was, um, he had hired me to sing a couple of songs of his. And there was one that I really, really liked. And when I got ready to make my record for Dollywood, I asked him if I could sing that song, which that can be kind of tricky because, you know, <laughs> for somebody, the first time that somebody cuts your song, you know, you know, maybe he wanted Reva McIntyre to cut it, you know, yeah. instead of some unknown person. But I think he had something else up his sleeve because uh, he came to the session when I recorded it and he never left. So I think he already, he figured I'll give her this song and then maybe she'll give me her heart. Oh, <laughs> it's been 34 years and we actually ended up getting engaged two months after that. So, oh, wow. Uh, so, yeah, it was kind of a whirlwind. So the whole whole that whole time period was a whirlwind. I was married. I got married. I got a record deal. My husband had a number one hit and we bought a house and <laughs> I had been at Dollywood opening uh, some shows for Dolly. So. Everything was coming up roses in 1986. <laughs> and absolutely, and this is and this is and I think people listening like an amazing stretch of time right there. But then yeah. we jump to like 89, 90, and this is where it goes even crazier. So you have a hit song there, a, a few of them, but one of them for sure was "Cross My Broken Heart." Um, right. And this is kind of what we were going back to what we were talking about before we started recording. Because when I was listening to this today, I listened to it a couple of times, and it doesn't have what I would call normal country or Nashville sound. It just seemed to be kind of lacking that twang that I think people are accustomed to hearing. And you've kind of already, already ventured into this, but have you always tried to stay open to new sounds and ideas when you're recording and not necessarily just following this country mold? Well, I think too, you know, like, like I said before, I was just exposed to so many different styles of music as a kid that it's like, it, it, I usually, and I still have the same philosophy. It's like, I, I usually sing a song with just guitar and if it still sounds convincing and it sounds like um, I'm really in the song and I'm really delivering it and I'm really engaging, you know, to and I, I, I'm the person who decides this, but you do, you would not believe how many songs that I absolutely loved that I've demoed. And I just said, I, this, that, this doesn't sound real. Just doesn't if work. it doesn't sound gen, genuine and it doesn't sound like it's coming from my heart, I don't want to sing it. And Cross My Broken Heart was just, it was kind of a Latin feel. I, and I started out as a drummer in high school or in grade school. And so I've always kind of been a sucker for anything that's Latin feeling. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so, and a friend of mine had written it, uh, Berlin Thompson wrote it. And so I kind of got to hear it before everybody else. And so 
that it was just one of those lucky things. And thank you so much for confirming to me. I was going to ask you next if that, because I felt I went straight to a Latin feel with it. And I was hoping that I was like, I, mm-hmm. I didn't know a hundred percent that I was right, but I'm, but yeah, that's definitely what yeah. that song does. And it's just very unique to, I, I don't know. That was just, especially at that time to come out with a country album and have a song with that feel on it. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but it just seems yeah. like a unique thing. Well, on the next album, on my Aces album, you'll have to give this a listen because this is really fun. But I did a um, I did a recording of uh, a five four style, a five four time Latin feel song called "Music on the Wind." The funnest thing about it is just to see people try to dance to it because, you know, most dances are either a waltz <laughs> or four four, and when they try to dance to five four time, it's it's pretty it's pretty funny. <laughs> Absolutely. So I've played some drums too, and I've done a I've done a I think the five four time that I did was a jazz tune called Take Five by Dave Brubeck, and it was yeah, something like that. Yeah, great song, and it was very. Um, it's just challenge, and I completely yeah. get that. Trying to watch people from a stage dance that has to be really great. So, okay, from here yeah. you really hit your stride with a series of of hit songs and albums. But I want to focus on one that you co-wrote called "Hey Cinderella." This tune seems loosely biographical to me as a depiction of the run of successes that you were having at the time. I may be way off there. You can let me know. But what can you tell us about "Hey Cinderella"? Well, so, um, it, you know, it's funny that I would, ended up writing a song called that because I do kind of look at my luck as a Cinderella story. But um, <laughs> the the song was written uh, with Matresa Berg. We started the song and we were talking about her mother and my mother-in-law who had uh, both come up at the time and got married in 1959 when, you know, women were, you know, just about having a really cinched waist and having the right coffee maker and making sure that your wedding list was going to, you know, everything would be perfect for your little perfect life. And we were started making fun of Cinderella. We started going, God, now where (laughs) are you? You know, you know, it did. I don't think it turned out exactly like you thought. So we started writing the song and we were getting pretty catty. I mean, we were just just kind of thinking this, this is not going to be our real song anyway. It's just going to be for fun. So let's just be like catty. You screamed and laughed, but I got up and sang. And then rode away in a white Mustang to your castle in the sand. Through the years and the kids and the jobs and the dreams that lost their way. So we took a coffee break and went out and Gary Harrison, um, who I've written a bunch of songs with, with and Matresa has written tons of songs with, mm-hmm. he was out there and he, he said, what are you guys writing? And we 
started telling him about it. And he was like, you got something there. That's really good. You know, don't, don't, don't tear it up. Don't, you know, get, get it back in there and do it. And we said, well, you come in and help us. Cause you know, we need to tone it down. The thunder thighs is <laughs> be in there, you know? So he helped us um, tame it just a little bit. And then I went home and played it for Doug, my husband. And, and he, I just, I thought maybe he would have some suggestions or anything. And he just looked at me and just said, yeah, now, awesome. like it was that was done, you know. So, so that one kind of came together all in one one little writing episode, and it was the first time I wrote with Matresa too. So, uh, and we've been dear friends ever since then. So, that, so that one's real special to me. Yeah, it really seems. I mean, it's just a really just beautiful song. So the fact that you guys hit on that so quickly, and what a great confirmation to come home and have the the producer, yeah. engineer, what, husband sign off. <laughs> yes um, I mean what an amazingly impressive body of work and and really you just kept going I mean through the 90s you, you just kept going with it and I kind of want to fast forward now to talk a little bit about your latest release which is the album live at Cafe Milano um, and for everyone listening this is now available on all digital streaming sites and is um, it seems to be an assortment of some of your biggest songs. Um, originally performed in 1999 at the Nashville venue. And I'm just curious, thinking back now, what are we, 21 years from there? What are some of your memories from performing these shows? Well, it was, it was over two nights. And that was one of my favorite places to play in Nashville. It was just a darling little club that was about 225 seats and really open floor plan. So you could see everybody everybody yeah. was in the show basically because you know you're you could talk to them they could talk to you you could hear everything just a very intimate um place and at that time i'd been with that band for about three years and we just were really tight and it was really a fun time to make a, a live record with some of my favorite band members of all times you know so yeah. Um, that was sort of the, the goal was really to kind of capture this particular time. I was in between record labels and that was convenient for me to actually record something that I would own. So that was, you know, another actual, you know, kind of a good thing. Yeah. But I really never did much with it. I, it became something that we, we uh, would sell it on the road. You know, it was the only live record I had. So um, uh but right now is such a great time for live albums because, you know, people miss that feeling of being in the room. I completely agree with that. The, the songs and stuff. And, and in that particular album, you can hear the audience. They're really like, you can hear how involved they are and how they're participating. And so it seemed like a really smart thing to, you know, get it out there to the world, you know, just let people enjoy a live performance of a lot of these songs that I've had out for many, many years, you know. Stay tuned for more Song Facts podcast right after this. So here's a quick question for you. Are you registered to vote? Well, Headcount is a nonpartisan organization that works with the music and entertainment industry to get fans to vote. To update or check your voter registration status, go to headcount.org 
where you'll find all the information you need to be ready for election day. It's coming up fast, so do it now. Register to vote at headcount.org. And I can definitely attest to what you said about the band. And I'm, I'm happy that you kind of expanded on that a little bit because I listened to it in its entirety this afternoon. And I was, the first thing that I thought was like, holy crap, these guys are playing tight. And, yeah. and there's just like, you, you get the sense that everybody is just playing with a huge smile on their face. And it was just like, and it, that's exactly what it did to me is it took me back to, you know, it's been seven months since I've seen a live music outside of someone busking and like a true live performance. And I hadn't really thought about that until you said it just now, but yeah, that's something thank you for giving that to the world right now, because that is something that we need. It's a four piece, really tight band, you know? you know, guitar player that knows how to make his guitar sound like a steel and, uh, you know, a piano player that can play strings. And, and of course I'm leading it with an acoustic guitar. Um, but, you know, when, when you listen and you think about, gosh, that's, you know, that's a pretty small little unit to make yeah. all that music. They really, you know, they were all artists. Are they all are artists in their own right too? So they, you know, everyone had their own style, but they just, clicked you know it was awesome so well, if there's one thing we know about nashville is that you can you do have the ability to surround yourself with some pretty amazing talent there's there's a lot of it in that one small little city yes that's um, true. <laughs> and i'm curious what do you what do you someone who's had the success that you've had you've played obviously all over the place what do you think about playing to an intimate audience like that that like cafe milano do you prefer that over some of the bigger shows yeah, uh, honestly, yes. I, I love anywhere between two and maybe seven, eight hundred. Okay. But I prefer my very favorite is around three to five hundred. That's just I just love that. I feel like everyone is. I'm. I can reach all of them. You know, yeah. and it, I could even see when somebody dragged their spouse or their girlfriend or whoever, <laughs> and I. I target them when I, so I'm like, I'm going to get you before I'm done. Because <laughs> maybe you don't like this song, but you're going to like another song. I love and, that. Uh, and it's, you know, that's a really hard thing to do when you have a really massive audience. But there's also another kind of energy that you get from playing festivals or playing um, in, you know, large venues. Uh, it's, you know, it's a different, it's a different kind of thing. But I love the spontaneity of mm -hmm. the smaller theaters um, because really there's not a lot going on. It's not a big, you know, there's um, not a lot of production to it really. And I've traveled the last probably six or seven years mostly as just a three piece acoustic. 
So okay. upright bass, me on guitar, and another guitar player that you know sometimes plays a couple other instruments, either harmonica or mandolin or that kind of thing. Yeah. And you take you can go anywhere. I mean, like I know a lot of songs. So if you know if people shout out something from a long time ago, these guys could follow me. You know, it might not be that <laughs> easy to do that with a five-piece band. You know, but it's easy for me to just wing it and, you know, and, and let things be really loose and let the evening just last. For, it's just going to be for this time. It's not about the lights. It's not about anything except the shared communication between me and these folks. Yeah. I like that. It's just like, it's just what turns me on. I think so too. And there's definitely something too that I would imagine that if you're performing to a much bigger audience that, like you said, you can focus on somebody and be like, they're not digging this song, but I'm going to turn it up a notch. I'm going to get them on the next one versus you've got people shuffling in and out of concessions, going to the bathroom and stuff. And there can just be, yeah, that, that intimacy, I think definitely would be something that would, that you'd eventually crave and, and really enjoy. Um, uh, and also you end up kind of uh, insulating yourself with your players on a large stage because it is hard when you're spread out really large, yeah. you know, long across the whole place. You're when you're spread out, you have to either use inner ears. Um, so now you're not getting a straight, you know, thing, even if, when you mic the audience so that you can try to hear things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're not sure if this comment came from over there or over here. Or, you know, it's just um it you end up still having that bigger, I feel like a bigger boundary between you. And them, and I mean, there are performers that you know can get out front and just um, completely, you know, pretty much dive into the audience, and that's that's great. But I've got a guitar; it holds me back a little bit. And yeah. you know, when I'm just have a small unit, and we can be three or four feet apart, and and just be um, communicating the whole time, it's great. There's something to that too. What's the, uh, so now you've got my curiosity going, what is, what is this mic in the audience? Can you expand on that a little bit? I haven't heard of this. <laughs> oh yeah. They make these big, uh, 12 inch shotgun mics. And basically a lot of people who use in ears, like if you went to a Kenny Chesney concert or somebody, you know, when it's like 10 or 15,000 people, yeah. they'll put these shotgun mics out in maybe in four places through the audience so they can hear in their uh, in-ears, they get the response because otherwise if you got the in-ears and pe- it doesn't sound like people are that excited about it, you know, you don't get that same kind of adrenaline rush. Oh, that I gotcha. There. So you need to have, you need to have an idea of what it sounds like out there. So that's how it works. <laughs> okay, good. We love when we can get some extra music tips on here. That's some behind the stage stuff that we wouldn't know about. Um, yeah. Okay. So this is, um, this is really interesting to me because your bio on your website right now talks about an album called Lucky, um, which is a tribute, I believe to Merle Haggard and throughout reading this, which I would encourage everyone to do because it seems like this is a person that's had a pretty big impact on you. And I'm just curious, what, what brought upon this album? Was it just to pay tribute to a hero? Yeah, I mean, I grew up listening to Merle Haggard as a little kid. My dad worked in the, at a shop, you know, in uh, International Harvester up in East Moline, Illinois. And he carpooled with a bunch of guys that loved country music. And Merle was one of their biggest, 
you know, heroes. And so the eight tracks of Merle and Buck Owens and, you know, Ray Price, all these great old country artists were in the car that I got to drive when I turned 16. So I really, I, you know, I had already known these songs most of my life, but then, you know, I took them on as my own because I was broke and I didn't, couldn't buy a lot of music myself. So I, <laughs> these are the ones that came with the car. So, uh, so I had been a, a fan of Merle since really since I was a little girl. And then I actually had my first album is titled after a Merle Haggard song. It's called Somewhere Between. And that was the one that came out in 1989 that had mm-hmm. Crossed My Broken Heart on. And, um, Somewhere between your heart and mine, there's a window that I can't see through. There's a wall so high it reaches the sky. Somewhere between me. So that started a friendship with me and Merle and you know that it's just such a weird thing when you meet you know mentors and and heroes of yours it's just it's so strange it's like but at the same time there's so and and particularly I, I I feel like in country music there's just so much accessibility I mean we our natural tendency I think is to um, to reach out to people. It's like, we're, we're talking a lot about relationships and, uh, you know, the stories that we like to tell and our songs are about our stuff that we do and that way we grew up and that, you know, who we are, you know? And so, and you know, I mean, not that other music doesn't do that too, because lots of music does that, Yeah. but, um, but it just, there's something about um, meeting a hero and having them treat you just like another person and it not being strange at all or them just, you know, being the grand poobah and you're just, you know, kissing their ring. It's just not like that. Um, or at least I'm, I haven't had that experience. Yeah, it does country. seem like, I don't know, for, from someone on the outside looking in, to me, the the scene around country music does for whatever reason seem warm and welcoming more so than a cutthroat of like jealousy and 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 things like that of you know there's a you want to be you're like ooh that's a really good song we got to like write a good song and like come up and try and get knock that off of the number one like there's going to be like some competitive vibes though but that's good because it keeps raising everyone's level but it's not yeah. necessarily this thing where you're you know it's a welcoming thing. It, it really feels like that even from the outside. And I, I don't know, there's something that's really appreciative and warm about that. And that's, I don't know if that crosses over into too many genres of music. It's very interesting. I'll tell you, I did, I did feel like from the beginning of getting to Nashville that everybody felt like there's plenty of room for all of us, Yeah, you know, I like it wasn't that. Uh, like we weren't, you know, we we're pitting each other against each other. It just was like, there's plenty of room for everybody to do well. And so, okay. So more recently you've been doing some um, Facebook live events called wine down Wednesdays, which I absolutely love. 
And I am very curious, what can, and I honestly, right before we hopped on, I was listening to the last one, I believe, number 23, I think it was. Oh, um, yeah. And I'm just, I got an idea, but what, what can people expect if they tune in? It's so chill. It's just 25 <laughs> minutes of just, just relaxing. I sing a couple of songs and I answer a couple of questions and I ask them to tell me what's going on, where they are. And it's just been so therapeutic and fabulous for me because I don't have that um, experience of being in the theater with these people or, you know, or doing shows live. You know, I, I, I feel like they're my bat, my pals, you know, and I, I'm hearing from people all around the world. And I, you know, it's like, you start wondering, it's like, gosh, you know, this person is having to stay up till one o'clock to do this at (laughs) 5 PM here, or, you know, uh, you know, you hear from somebody in South Africa and you think, how did they know that I was going to be doing this? And how did they even know my music, you know? And, uh, and they're just from all over the place. There's Norway and there's, you know, and then all over the United States and the UK and, and it's, it's just, uh, it just has really been kind of keeping me happy there. It's so easy to get kind of gloomy, you know, I was like, we had this wonderful, wonderful tour planned for this year. And we just had to shove the whole thing into 2021. And so, yeah. uh, it just, uh, it's really, uh, bolstered me and, and it turned into something that has really been cool. And that is, um, you know, for the ones who really wanted to sort of get something out of what I'm doing right now, I started um, kind of a VIP uh, subscription sort of thing. Okay. So it's called Susie's Inner Circle. And so 200 plus people are in it. And for $10 a month, they get to, I send them videos of me working in the studio, the songs that we're recording now. And, and so the money that they're, paying every month is paying for me to make this new album that I'm making. Cool. So it's kind of another kind of a Kickstarter kind of vibe, but instead they get to be in on the process all the time that it's happening. So, um, and a lot of people love it. You know, it's like last week we posted, um, Doug and I, my husband, um, is my sound engineer and we posted us trying to decide between a Wurlitzer and a, B3 Oregon for this um, <laughs> one color in, in this song that we're recording right now. And it was funny because everybody had their opinions like, oh, I love the Wurlitzer and no, no, I love the B3. And, oh, it's so great. And it, it was just really fun to, they were, and you know, a lot of them, this is the first experience they've ever had being in the studio with the artist, you know. What a great idea too, to be able to, have that come out whenever it whenever it does get released and these these people yeah. that decide to be a part of it can actually listen to yeah, it were, and then feel like they were a part of the making of this album because they were and they're they'll hear it first you know they hear everything first you know before everything's done and and they, they're cheerleaders for me too i mean they just you know they're they're pushing me to get on to the next song you know hurry up we want to hear it it's almost done you know and it's just, um, it's, it's working really great. And like I say, it's funding the record project. So. Well, as someone who um, just loves trying to get behind the scenes on, on stuff like that, I just really 
uh, yeah, if you're a fan of, of Susie's music, I will, I'll get this information and have links to it for people who are listening to this, but we'll make sure that we um, try and get more people into that, into that group, because why not? Unless it's closed off. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you can quit anytime. If you don't like it, it's only 10 bucks out, you know? So it's, yeah. it's like, you know, you try it. You let, if you like what we send, you know, I go back into my archive and send stuff that is, uh, that I haven't put on socials before. So things like little pieces of music from the nineties with me and Chet Atkins or, oh, you know, cool. things like that, that they wouldn't normally get to see because it's all personal stuff. So um, it's kind of fun, uh, you yeah. know, and, and I'm enjoying their company because they really like, you know, when it's small numbers like this is so amazing. And it's like, I, now I did a bunch of zoom calls. So I know, I know what they look like too and where <laughs> they it. live. And it's, it's just been kind of fun. It's like, it's oh. like a Mickey Mouse club. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Good for you. Well, it's not Wednesday. It's, it's Thursday today as we're recording this, but I do have a glass of wine and you have agreed to be nice enough to perform a song for us. So what are you going to perform hey. and what do we know about this song? You know what? I decided I would do um, this, this song uh, just because of the time of the year, you know, a lot of people are going back to school and hopefully it's all going to be fine. It's a little hair raising, but this is a song um, that I kind of had to fight for with the record label because they, at the time they thought it was too pop for the record that I was making, but it ended up uh, being a big hit for me and just giving me some great stories from folks that identified with this song through the years. So um, it's called Letting Go. Lovely. She'll take the painting in the hallway Once you're dead in junior high And that old lamp up in the attic She'll need some light to study by She's had 18 years to get ready for this day She should be past tears. She cries so many ways. Oh, letting go. There's nothing in her way now. Oh, letting go. There's room enough to fly. And even though she spent her whole life waiting, it's never easy. Letting go Mother sits down at the table So many things she'd like to do Spend more time out in the garden Now she can get those books read too. She's had 18 years to get ready for this day. 
past the tears she cries so many She spent her whole life waiting. It's never easy. Letting go, it's never easy. Letting go. recorded okay it recorded so well it's so so i mean unbelievable your voice just hasn't aged a day well you're nice to say that i appreciate that i could have warmed up but um you know i wanted you to just have the full i'm at home sequestered kind of vibe (laughs) i think everyone can relate to that warmed up girl (laughs) there's a few little squeaks in there but i just hope you you know think of them as emotion Hey, I can't, I can't engineer it like your husband. I can't, I'm sure, but I'll do something. We'll put, we'll at least put a limiter on it. (laughs) (laughs) Susie, what awesome. I had so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on. And I just, I'm so thankful to be doing what I'm doing and getting introduced to different music and things like this, because honestly, I just, I, I really just enjoyed my afternoon listening. I've got a big 10 hour drive coming up on Sunday and I'm excited to um, introduce my girlfriend to some of your music as well. So I I just can't wait. Well, great. Well, I'm going to be like listening to this podcast, the next drive I take. So (laughs) not this one, but one of your other ones. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, thank you. I know what happened in this one. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, I really hope all the best for you and yours. And um, thank you so much. Same to you. Same to you. Thanks a lot. Thanks for talking to me. Well, once again, a big thank you to Susie Bagas. Go check out her stuff. What an amazing performer, singer, just all around awesome person. And as always, for the stories behind the songs, go to songfacts.com. Thank you so much. See you next week.